Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi there, I'm Tim, and welcome back to Sex and Space, here continuing to explore sex across all of its infinite dimensions. I hope you're all doing great. This is episode 33. Grab a drink, get comfy, strap on and strap in. If you're loving it, there are lots of ways you can support us here at Sex and Space. Head on over to sexandspace.com forward slash shop and check out our lovely merch. Our book, The Organ Education Forgot, a little book about the clitoris, is available at sexandspace.com forward slash book. This is available as a PDF download or as a fabulous print version. Remember, you can also show your support by liking, rating and subscribing wherever you found us. There is more awesome Sex and Space content over at TikTok and Instagram. Our handle is sexandspace.com. That's all one word, sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M. Now, let's get on to our incredible interview. I had the privilege of chatting with Paul Barlow. Paul is a media and marketing veteran with over a decade of experience spanning technology, entertainment, politics, and more. As a former Stuff columnist, he's contributed to renowned New Zealand publications like Waikato Times, NZ Herald, and NBR. Paul's expertise extends to crafting content and strategies for diverse industries, including professional sports, cinemas, concerts, and corporations. But that's not all. No stranger to the world of media, Paul's worn various hats as a radio host, podcast producer, and presenter. His podcast series, Paul, the other one, boasts a dedicated following of over 10,000 fans across Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. With a knack of delivering easily digestible insights and engaging long-form content, Paul is equally at ease, both behind and in front of the microphone. Let's dive in. Paul, hello there. I thought I'd better say hello there. Hello there. Yeah, Hello there. It's, I think that's what's going to be written on my gravestone at this stage. It, it's, it follows me everywhere now. Dude, I love it. I love it. I was excited about saying that. But thank you very much for, um, for coming on Sex and Space. My very pleasure. Nice. I couldn't avoid a title like that. You have to, if somebody with a title like that for a podcast asks, you have to do it. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Well, that's right. The system is working for us then. Good yep. stuff. And we have, yeah, we've talked about sex and space amongst amongst other things. Now, I mean, confession, right, for me, um, and I'm going to be fanboying all over the place. I, I really like what you do um, from a political and media commentary point of view, what the content that you put out Thank on you. TikTok, stuff like that, because um, for a while, I think New Zealand um, especially has actually needed something like that. that I mean, I'm a sort of self-confessed um, consumer of political commentary on, on social channels. I mean, things like mm-hmm. most people from like US, um, like Young Turks, Paul Kalinske, Jordan Cheriton, people like that. And then from the UK, um, which is where I grew up, people like Owen Jones, stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, for me, I mean, I think New Zealand politics is, politics is really interesting, but I, there's a certain 
sort of lacking in um, in the sort of stuff that you, you do. And when, when I discovered what you what you're doing, I was like, oh, this is this is great. And um, but it's also beautifully dovetailed into sex in space as well, um, which we'll get to in a minute. But <laughs> thank you. <laughs> tell us, it's very tell, kind yeah. of you to say. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, um, yeah, tell us about how you got into it. I'd love to. So love it was. So for, for, for to we, how I got to TikTok was a little bit strange because I actually downloaded it because of a client I was working with at the time in the sports industry, in the health and mm -hmm. fitness industry. Um, this client makes apps for fitness professionals and they didn't believe that something like TikTok was going to be of any influence at all for their client base. And like, no, look, you can see it growing overseas. You can see it doing really well here. Let's download it, see how it works, what you have to do to actually get onto it and, and build a profile from it so that's how I got to TikTok and then I like I think like most people I started off just doing what's trending let's give it a go let, let's you know see what works uh, and it wasn't until last year's local body elections when they started to roll around and we had organizations like Voices for Freedom coming out going we want to make the country ungovernable and that's where my area of expertise had been in other fields that I'd done with the radio hosting with the stuff I'd done for stuff and and mm. Uh, the Waikato Times, and of that, well, yeah, I've got a bit of expertise on this. I know some of these candidates personally. I know how terrible they would be if they were elected, if they were given any sort of authority, um, if they were given free reign to say what they wanted to say. It could actually be really dangerous. So I thought, oh, yeah, let's. I can focus on one or two candidates. And then after I started, I'd had people message me going, oh, have you heard about this candidate in New Plymouth? Or have you heard about this candidate in Rangataiki? People just keep throwing things at me and so you do a little bit of digging and it's these people are generally awful like like that they have really backwards ideas about what society should be they mm -hmm. have really oppressive ideas around certain groups of people and i thought well you know if i put it out there then at least i feel like i've done something and the audience just kind of grew and grew and then we sort of hit election night last year and like well now i can't stop because we've got another election in a year so it's just about building up on that and then using things like the media theory training that I've had and going through, like, how do we interpret the news? What is it that we're actually seeing? Why aren't we getting those kind of media personalities that, that you mentioned before from the US and the UK? Why do we not see that sort of thing come through here? And trying to give people the tools to interpret what's given to them in terms of information, but also what's presented to them by politicians as we go yeah. into the election. So this this election cycle has been far less about terrible people you shouldn't vote for and much more about how something's presented, how you can interpret it and what you really should be taking out from it, as well as how terrible some of the policies are that have been put out there. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, in in this um, in this kind of broader um, international arena of mistrust, um, you know, uh, around certain media but also around certain institutions and things like that i think it's very interesting to sort of have a different perspective on what's just sort of fed to you um, oh yeah yeah it, it, we can see from the time that donald trump kind of announced his presidency that he was going to run all the way through to now how we've seen media's trust degraded is research that's done every year through AUT specifically looking into how much trust New Zealand media has with the audience and that's showing the same trends you know people are, are trusting media less and less specifically old school news media but they still have the largest audiences in the country so either people are hate watching it or there is such a, a weird relationship that we have with the news and what we trust in the information that we give them and 
part of the problem that we've got is that things like education around media theory wasn't really put into place until sort of the late 90s, early 21st century in this country. So people haven't grown up knowing how to interpret the news or how a story is told or what the messaging is. And the majority of people, for example, who go out and vote, they tend to be over the age of 50, 55. That's the generation that wasn't taught how to interpret media. They've just been mm. presented it and it's evolved. And th th to me, there's just so many sort of moving parts. And I, I, I was really excited about the idea of just sort of sitting down and showing people how the how the sausage is made really yeah yeah no it's um it is interesting you're absolutely right there's there's so many there's so many moving parts and they do they do interconnect too and i think that's a lot of potentially a lot of the distrust is in around the complex nature oh, yeah. and those interconnected sort of parts of it too um oh yeah, you know, and, yeah. and it doesn't help that you get there are some organizations for example some groups that deliberately simplify things because it makes it easy to tell you that you can't trust these groups and, and can't trust the media. Uh, it, it, like my the most common one I come across is the government bribed media with the, the COVID fund as an example. Mm. And uh, that's a huge complicated issue in itself. Like, yeah, the government gave money to media, but it gave it to New Zealand on air and you had to apply for it and you had to have a detailed breakdown and New Zealand on air has always published all of their funding decisions and the reasons why you can find all this information. But for some people, it's just nicer in the heads to say, I can't trust the media because the government gave the money during COVID. Yeah. But yeah. It, it, it's frustrating, but fun. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I think that, I mean, the, the, uh, your appeal to me and I suppose what it is you're you're trying to do um is to shine the light on on the more nuanced complicated yeah. connections and I mean yeah bring to light the stuff that the fact that this information is out there or those sorts of things is that is that kind of right if, if you go yeah. into this with a with a sort of motive kind of I, th I think yeah. my biggest motive is always to get people involved um when it comes to local body elections, I've always wanted to try and get the numbers up because they're abysmal. Like they're, they're sub 30, 35% in most places. And for this election, when Jacinda announced that she was retiring, the first thought in my head is that is going to tank the turnout for the election. We don't have that motivating factor that, that she brought with her. Mm -hmm. And that anything I can do to get people out there to actually vote is really important. But also knowing specifically what you're voting for and, and how your vote has an effect, I thought was also important. But getting people involved was definitely the big part. Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's totally true, and um, nicely sort of leads into sort of what I want to talk about next. Was a video that you put out about a month ago, um, mm -hmm. which was around um, RSE, which is here is reproductive and sexuality education. So that's our formal education um, around that subject in in schools, all, all three school ages, right? So primary, yes. intermediate, and, and secondary. And secondary. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And, and the whole system is designed to start when you start primary school and go all the way until you finish high school. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's huge. Like it's 30 years worth of research that's been poured into designing this particular education program. So it, like, it's a massive area and a really easy one for dog whistles to be made over. Well, this is the thing, right? So... I was, this is what I wanted to ask you about. I wasn't sure how dog whistly this was. The example that you gave in your video was that the current leader of the opposition 
-hmm. I don't know if that still technically is correct because I think it's now we're three weeks out from the next election. <laughs> um, but uh, he was posed a question which I suppose was unhelpfully framed around woke ideology. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it was around sexuality issues in the schools and his um, opinion or or soundbite or whatever you want to call it is that it should be um, dealt with at home uh, by parents rather than in schools um, and then it was the deputy um, of the same party she she said something about she was concerned about indoctrination of kids which felt yes. quite whistly uh, to me but oh, also yeah. that um, sexual education was a job for her and her husband and teachers should be focusing on the basics and, and stuff like that. So I guess for those that haven't seen the video, you did a really nice job of firstly unpacking um, the importance and the massive benefits of a Thank good you. a good um, RSE. Um, could you just refresh us with, with those again? Um, and also where you think New Zealand's RSE actually sits kind of on a, on a global yeah. sort of leaderboard? So in terms of the benefits that we see, and to be fair, the benefits that we're seeing are exactly what the research showed the benefits would be when this was implemented. So it's really important to know that that work for research and setting this up has paid off in dividends. It was things like a lowering of the number of STIs in the general population, especially in young people, uh, a drop in teen pregnancy rates. Uh, you see a lot more talk and openness about anything to do with sexually, sexually related conversations that people might be having, both between their peers and their family. Um, and those sort of open conversations can lead to things like a reduction in sexual assault, sexual abuse, those kind of issues. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing all of those come through from how the system is being set up in this country. Um, in terms of where it sits sort of internationally, from what I can see, it's pretty well up there. Like it, it, yeah. Because it's built on 30 years of research in the field, but also 30 years of academic research, we've taken sort of the best bits of it all and put it into action. The, the one thing that we kind of lack at the moment is we don't really give our teachers the tools to be able to do this effectively across every school and every education level. So they're given a, a booklet, they're given the information, how they connect with their students is entirely up to them, but it does make it a bit harder for there to be kind of a uniformity between each school. There will always be issues in certain schools, like a, a religion-based school, for example, is going to have a lot more trouble feeling comfortable having these conversations yeah. with their students but generally speaking the results that we've seen have been really fantastic yeah that's really interesting and, and good news as well i mean my kids are eight and five so um yeah i guess yeah. fingers crossed but um i i hear you, but it's it did um i mean i personally had quite an open you know flow of information from from my parents as well which yeah. you know i i really valued but i think it's it is important that um schools at least do do a half decent job because mm -hmm. the parents might not always be equipped and like you said the teachers as well i mean you could be talking about again different generations of of education and yeah. stuff like that right so everybody kind of needs to be um able to you know, get the benefits of this, whether they're yeah. a teacher. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And that, that's an interesting thing you bring up about your parents as well, because everybody's parents are different. And mm. I don't, I, I'm in my 40s and I still feel uncomfortable sitting down with my parents if there's a sex scene on TV. You know, if there's a movie that comes on. And, and like, I've got kids of my own. It's not like anybody is under any illusion as to how the process works. But I still feel uncomfortable around them. And my parents are incredibly liberal. Mm. I'm sure my kids are the same. But I can't say I've been in a room during a sex scene on a movie while I've been there in a very long time because they tend to avoid it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter how liberal your parents are, it'll always be one of those uncomfortable topics. At least being brought into schools in the way that it is at the moment, it means that you can sit there in an awkward situation with your parents, but at least know what's going on, what the mechanics are, how it fits into relationships and all of that kind of stuff and discuss it with somebody who you trust and don't feel quite so awkward discussing that with. Mm. Well, the other thing that, you know, from my personal experience, um, kids talk with their peers too. And so if you're giving them, the correct information that they're going to spread around between each other, you know, it can dilute some of the misinformation, which is yes. also rife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. kids these days, they have access to Pornhub, for example. Like it, it's on the phones that they get sent to school with if they want it to be. And so we have to prepare them to to be able to navigate that kind of world because I guarantee at some stage someone's going to show up to school and go, oh, my God, have you seen this? And if you haven't mm. give the, given them the tools to handle that, all sorts of issues can crop up. Yeah, no, absolutely. What I thought was interesting about um, the the two opinions of um, the leader of the opposition, Christopher Luxon, and her Nicola name escapes Nicola Willis. Yeah, and then he called her Nikki Haley for a minute, but she's American. <laughs> but, you know, I can Nicola... see the, the resemblance there. Yep, <laughs> Nicola Willis. Um, is that those sort of soundbitey? Um, opinions there's not much room for nuance i assume that those were maybe a press conference um yeah kind of uh environment or something like that there's not much room for the nuance like you just unpacked the, the benefits of um you know rse the teen pregnancies all that kind of stuff if all that's unpacked who's going to be like oh no this is this is terrible we should rip that up and start again like <laughs> surely not but with when you're dealing with um you know those political sound bites. Do do you feel, you know, with the, the sort of media training that you've got, that, that that's not really their opinion? Maybe it is, but but it's it's actually I, appealing to a base of people who are kind of like you I know I think it depends on the politician, to be honest, because we yeah. know, for example, Christopher Luxon is he's an evangelical Christian. He's been mm. very open about his religious beliefs. And it's really common to find in those communities that they're much more comfortable feeling like they should control that flow of information for their kids. Yeah. And I, I completely understand that every parent is going to have that feeling as well, that they want to make sure they know what their kids are talking about, what they're learning about and, and adapting to where they feel their kid is in their developmental stage for this topic. And so I fully imagine that for Nicola Willis, it's the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you're right, when it comes to sound bites, you don't get nuance at all. But there is a dog whistle element to it as well. If they turned around and said, this is just an issue for family, which is sort of essentially what they put it down to, they're telling a specific audience, this is our stance where we sit on things. And that's mm-hmm. an audience that's very generally, it's generally very religious. They're generally very right-leaning in their politics and they're generally really conservative. And, and that's kind of the brand that the National Party has to a degree, but mm. it's also a brand that you see a lot in 
almost our fringe parties at the moment, that especially that religious tie-in is very strong through things like New Conservatives, uh, even New Zealand First to a degree, a whole bunch of these little political parties. Um, New Zealand Loyal plays it up quite a bit these days to the Freedoms Umbrella with Brian Tamaki. Yeah. And so it's a dog whistle to their followers that, oh, we're on the same page as you. Um, in, in reality, like the National Party set this up. So there should be no reason for them to go backwards and start saying it's not right. And I'm sure if you sat down with both of those politicians and said, give us a bit more nuance, you'd get it from them. Yeah. But knowing that they've got a limited time with a soundbite, they try and get as many people to pay attention to it as possible. And that's where the dog whistle comes in. Yeah. It's um, one thing I wanted to just ask, actually, was around the personal opinions that Christopher Luxon has been pretty open about, you know, with his um, Hmm. evangelical uh, leanings. Where in sort of New Zealand lawmaking, does the sort of the rubber hit the road when it comes to a politician's sort of personal perspective on certain things versus actual sort of law creation? And that's why I was also wondering in the context of something like this, is is not proposing that the the current system gets ripped up and, and thrown in the bin. He's saying no, what he thinks he's saying what he thinks will appeal to a certain voter base. Yeah. That's that's yeah, right, it, right? Yeah. It's a yeah, it's it's a really interesting one because most of our laws are started either by a politician saying this is something that we need to change, we've identified it's an issue, let's get it sorted, or by petition, where you have a number of people dropping off some form saying this is the change that we think we need. And laws are always running to catch up with changes in technology, changes in society. So when it comes to a politician's personal beliefs, it's not often that you'll see something that's done on a grand scale really quickly. The only exception that sort of comes to mind is the gun law changes after what happened in Christchurch. Mm. And that was a really quick change because we knew really specifically where our politicians stood and understood where most of our politicians stood. And the personal choice to try and make gun safety laws tougher to get hold of those kind of weapons made a lot of sense. When it comes to religious beliefs, they tend not to be quite so prevalent in the lawmaking process and and how a party sets policy. Um, One of the things I found most interesting with the National Party, for example, I had a chance to sit down and talk to our local national candidate. And I pointed out to him, I've got personal concerns about Luxon's religious beliefs. I I don't see how somebody who thinks that abortion is murder is going to be quite happy to leave the abortion laws as they are, for example. And the response I got was, don't worry, we'll manage him. And I think there's always an element of people trying to manage those kind of beliefs from someone quite prolific in a party to something that's not quite so scary for the general population. But I also don't know how comfortable I am with the idea of a political party member managing their boss like that. Hmm. But in terms of the policy making process, I don't actually think it's going to make a huge amount of difference because I don't think you'd get the traction in the house for it. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, you could, you can disagree with him up till, till the cows come home and you could say that, you know, it's potentially harmful or unhelpful to, you know, broadcast or espouse yep. you know too too many of these sort of fringe views without looking at the nuance of you know actually RSC in schools in New Zealand is pretty good you know maybe there's room for improvement yeah blah 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 so okay yeah no that's interesting because when you 
um, you know, talk about the, the slightly smaller parties, which sometimes end up in coalitions. Um, mm -hmm. And they have some slightly more. Um, well, let's just talk about the views of, of New Zealand first, actually, when it comes to sure. um, their sort of gender ideology views. Do you want to unpack that one? You probably you'd yeah. probably nail it better than me. <laughs> So New Zealand First, this election, New Zealand First has always been a populist party. Winston does everything he can to get into Parliament, and he's been doing it for 40-odd years, so mm. he's certainly very good at that. Um, this election, though, he got a bit of a boost when he went down to the protests in Wellington in February of, of 2022. Um, people saw him, some of the people in the protests saw him as a hero because he's a well-known face, a well-known name, and he's coming down to listen to us. And as we've sort of got closer and closer to the election, he's taken on board their views and their stances. He's even brought a number of those people into his party to showcase that this is where he's looking at going. One of the issues that you have with all of these fringe groups is that they're really good at what we call rage farming. And it's finding something new to be angry about every week. You know, initially it was mandates and vaccines and then those were dropped. And then suddenly it's um, cloud seeding or 20-minute cities or the one that they, they picked up on for a while there was around gender ideology and RSE. And some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. At the moment, we're seeing a lot of stickiness around gender ideology because we've got court cases, for example, uh, with the, the Posey Parker stuff that's happening and that's still in the news. So for those that get rage farmed and those that do the rage farming, it's really easy fodder to keep throwing at their people. New Zealand first picked up on that because they're dealing with those conspiracy crowds, which means that you get people like Kirsten Murphitt, who's his number 11 on the list. Um, she is our most prolific QAnon supporter in the country. She's on Telegram all the time, putting out a whole bunch of conspiracy theory crap that makes no sense whatsoever. But her influence on the way that they create policy showcases that they're going to get traction from people paying attention to it from other crowds. And that's exactly what he needs for people to go, maybe he's a viable source for us to put into parliament. So the policies he's put in place really specifically to talk to that crowd include no funding for sports organizations at all, unless they sit down and they come up with a detailed plan on how to deal with transgendered people, ensuring that there are checks in public spaces for people's genitals to make sure they're going into the right bathroom. And like, that's extreme. Most people will tell you that's extreme. Nobody wants to have to submit for that. And somebody who's transitioning doesn't want to draw attention to that in the first place. Yeah. It's a, it is a really cruel, heartless policy, but it's one he's adopted because those rage-farmed crowds have told him that's what he wants, and he's so close to getting into Parliament, it makes sense for him to push that narrative these days. Right, so he's just looking for a threshold of above 5%, and if he's yeah. going to get it, whatever, through whatever means, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the yeah. interesting tell, though, on how he himself feels about it is like, because Winston's hard to read, he, he will lie till he's blue in the face and make you believe it. But if you ever look at his actual party list, he would need to get the same sort of support that he had two or three elections ago, where he's getting 15, 18 candidates in before the first conspiracy theorist would actually make it onto that list. He's actually put them down quite a way. So he's still placating, look, they're on the list, and if we do really well, they'll get in. But the reality is where he's playing on the fringes at the moment, if he gets in, he'll get six candidates, three of which are already 
have, have already been MPs, um, one of which is an incredibly racist person who works for Hobson's Pledge, and the other couple are like former local body politicians, so they have a little bit of governance experience. So on paper, that sounds good. And to the conspiracy theorist that he's talking to, yeah, look, he's giving us something. He's throwing us, you know, the candidates are doing really well, and we could, because he's done it in the past, get all of those people in. So he's playing the game pure and simple. Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting. How, in terms of the game, the broader game, and the, the kind of interconnectivity of, of media's sort of role in this, um, how much do, you know, certain topics that are sort of, I guess, hot hot button topics amongst certain, certain crowds, um, how much are they sort of out of balance or pushed because of that media kind of i mean if you call rage farming one thing is there's click farming mm -hmm. something yeah, else cl yeah. click farming is, is is very similar um the big difference is rage farming keeps people angry and click farming keeps people engaged mm -hmm. and news works on click farming these days you know it, it's where the advertising dollar comes from it's how they sell themselves especially mainstream media but what you find if you look at something like a mainstream media post on a platform like Facebook, for example, and it's around the rugby or it's around uh, traffic chaos in Auckland, that kind of stuff, you'll get really minimal engagement. You might get mm. a couple of likes, a couple of comments. Um, even rugby these days, because the All Blacks aren't doing as great as we would like, is the sort of thing that people don't engage with as much. But if you put down, if you were to put down this week's COVID numbers, for example, which we haven't seen in the media for a couple of months, yep. you would get so many responses. You'd get so much engagement that suddenly that's the kind of thing that as a social media manager, you go, oh, this is the engagement levels that I want. And as somebody who dictates what makes news is the kind of thing you go, oh, this is, this is what people are talking about. So this is how we put it on the news and we keep it it big we saw a great example of that last week actually or the other day with um, ryan hamilton the national party candidate for hamilton east uh he made the news on radio new zealand about seven o'clock in the morning because he holds anti-fluoride anti-vaccine anti-mandate beliefs and they found footage like they found proof of that on his social media feeds and on other social media feeds uh, and by the time he hit the six o'clock news it was one of the top three headlines. Radio New Zealand didn't even put it out on their, their social media feeds, but it was picked up by people who were paying attention. By 10.30, Luxon was being grilled about it in, in stand-ups. And then all of that sort of engagement that we th see through social media drives what we see through mainstream media. And the people right. who are involved in these conspiracy theory groups, they actually have threads where they'll say, hey, look, this has been posted on this. Go and comment. Go and, and bomb it. So those engagement levels go up. So it starts to dictate what we're seeing in mainstream media in terms of the communications that they're putting out and the messages that they're putting out. Right, gotcha. And so you understand that game and you unwind it right back to Christopher Luxon's comments around whether RSE, you know, should be in home or school. And it's yeah. it's right back to what we said before. It's interconnected, isn't it? So yes. he's he's trying to play a game where those comments of his might end up yeah. being on the, the six o'clock news as well. So, yeah, exactly. And, and they worked. They made the news headlines. And it, it's you'll see it, especially in the lead up to the election. Every politician wants that soundbite that makes the news. Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing it quite a bit with, uh, there's a vision candidate at the moment who's running one of the South Auckland seats, who's popped up to three different party leader events now. He's broken in and he's disrupted 
gets them on the news. So that that's what the the discussion's about. It, it's really quite a challenging balancing act, especially when there's so many people who want to be on the news at the moment and only so much time that the news can actually put aside for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's um but you're right, you can see it play out in real time when you you know, there's there's important important stuff being talked about, but then the trending yeah. stuff, you know, will pop up. Um there was something this morning actually the New Zealand Herald published a list of Russell Brand's ex-girlfriends. Um, yeah. He, he, yeah. He's in the news right now for, you know, the reasons that he's in the news for, but it's, yep. I didn't feel like that list was relevant at all. It was just that people no. are talking about Russell Brand. So here's a list of his ex-girlfriends. So I was yeah. like, okay. And once you yeah. start to see it, you're like, yeah, okay. Are... <laughs> There's a great example, actually, from September 1997, which being British, I'm pretty sure you might be able to work out what the big event was that happened in September 1997. There yep. was a crash in Paris. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was the Daily Mail had to pull all of their pre-printed uh, copies off for that morning because it was all about the terrible sex capades of Princess Di and what she was doing and how she was having all of these different affairs and she had taken all these different lovers. And they actually had to run a retraction that they put out saying, look, we apologize for putting this out and we've removed most of the copies of the, the sex capades of Princess Di and we'll bring you a 72-page memorial on the life of the people's princess. Because that, that narrative changes so suddenly and, and it's faster these days because of how connected we are with the internet. But yeah. it's a great example of how public, public perception changes what the media puts out there. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, now it's... Um... Yeah, light, lightning fast. It's it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, but I mean, I think for someone like you, what you're doing and what you're able to um, help educate people with, it's sort of it's a little bit like the the RSE stuff. You know, information is power. The more you talk about this sort of yeah. stuff, the more you understand it. The more you know, nuanced uh, sort of opinion you you can have. Um, but no, I feel it's it's very 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 valuable actually. Um, I, I hope yeah. so. We'll find out on election day, I guess, if it worked. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, to be honest, I haven't noticed. No, I mean, I have noticed a political a political leaning from from your stuff, but I think you do try oh, yeah. and keep it quite fact based. I, I, try I don't know. It, it seems to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I always find the feedback really funny depending on who I'm talking to. So I've got some friends, for example, who are working on Labour Party campaigns around the country. And they'll say to me, oh, we love the balance in what you're doing. It's really well balanced. I'm like, yeah, but if you think it's balanced, then clearly it's not because you've got yeah. this bias going on. So it, it, it's always a tricky one. But I try and make sure that there's at least some base facts in there before I throw my own spin on it. <laughs> Have you... Um experience much uh pushback or or anything like that like how how's that occasionally um i get a i, I haven't had it quite so much these days but i've had, i got a lot of you must be a paid government shill because you're not agreeing with everything we say that generally comes from like those conspiracy theory crowds yep um yep. i i have had four death threats so far and they've all come from destiny church members um 
a lot of the smaller parties and the smaller party supporters like to jump in and yell in all caps and stuff like that. But mm. I haven't had that much online recently. Um, physically, I've been chased down by um, helpers of the Vision Party, the local Vision Party candidate here on, on the North Shore. Um, I wasn't particularly impressed with them blocking up footpaths with their mobile billboards and mm -hmm. pulled the fingers at their sign and stuck it up on Instagram and their local man up organizer chased me down, me and a friend and, and tried, like he's a foot shorter than I am. He was trying to stand over me and right in my face, yelling and screaming and, and getting ready to punch me. Uh, oh it, like there, there can be some really highly emotive people around these things. And I get it. Like, you know, it, mm. it, it's, when it comes to politics, you're literally dealing with the future of the country. You should be kind of worked up and emotive, but you also shouldn't be at a point where you feel like hitting somebody is the way to fix that. No. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think I've had anything too dramatic recently, the last month or so. Yeah, oh, that's interesting because I feel like I don't know that people are necessarily, and, and you are you're right, I'm sure that some people are, are conflating the importance Oh yeah, of of the future of the country, but I feel for some people, it's more of just a tribal game. There's a bit yeah. of validation going on for you know their own opinions and stuff like that. So that's definitely really different for me growing up. I mean, I'm in my forties too. I've you know when I first voted, uh, it was much less. It was much less tribal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. And actually, you mentioned before, or just now, um, Destiny's Church, and that's a, another interesting one. If we look at how they use, um, you know, I don't know that they've necessarily dived into the RSE conversation, but they've definitely, um, you know, approached this whole like um, indoctrination of children. Um, the sort of LGBTQ agenda and stuff like that. Now, obviously, they are religious in their sort of base, um, mm -hmm. but that seems to me, and I could be wrong, but the very sort of cynical use um, of those of those topics. Um, oh yeah, because I don't know what intention or. or um, real chance they've got of, of making it into parliament this time but from a financial revenue point of view it's probably helping them a lot am i yeah you're, you're right bang on the money on. <laughs> brian tamaki has tried a number of times to get into parliament and he fails miserably every time he does everything he can to talk about what he considers traditional family values uh, like 20 years ago, he was running um, protests against same-sex marriage down in Wellington. Like it, mm. it's really ridiculous, reactionary stuff. And over the years, he's made some really stupid claims. You know, like the LGBT community calls the earthquakes in Christchurch as punishment from God. Yep, those kind it. of things are designed. Uh, it's, it's a stupid statement. Like it, yeah. it really is. And everybody generally recognizes it as him trying to get attention. And every time he gets attention, it's an extra chance for him to grift money off people. Um, one of the things I found really fascinating about Tamaki this time and his freedoms group that he's put together, like, they don't like each other. There, there's groups, for example, like Outdoors and Freedom. They're number two person on their list. She is uh, Wahini Māori. Uh, she's very proudly Wahini Māori. And you've got somebody like Rock the Vote, 
who are really racist and they've got actual policies that are like you can't use today or language anywhere in the country in certain places like it, it's that it, it's really never going to work in one room yeah. so clearly there's an ulterior motive for it um but with brian everything he does is to get attention and if he's got attention people are giving him money um my favorite one actually is during like during covid we you know we wouldn't get vaccinated we we don't stand for vaccinations he hired a vaccination station space outside his own church and then he had to travel he, he went overseas just after lockdowns lifted and at the time you couldn't travel without being vaccinated so clearly he got vaccinated mm -hmm. but he's still telling people he would never do that that's not possible and those conversations and arguments that happen within those groups drive people to him and those are the ones who are like if you give me the money i can get rid of the government we're going to get 20 percent of the vote so we can fix things never going to happen but people will pay him handsomely for it yeah all right so it's so sad because I don't, I've never really unpacked it too far, but I sort of feel like a deep colonial guilt in a way for some of the communities that, that are attracted to um, some of his worst messaging. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I, just I know where you're coming it, from. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's the communities he appeals to and it does really well in, are the ones that do feel like they've been let down by successive governments that feel mm. like communities aren't talking to them, that they don't feel like they have a place of belonging in their own country. And so this is something they can match onto because he makes them feel like they're accepted and that they're part of his community and part of his flock. Mm. It, it, to me, as somebody who's not religious, that feels like taking advantage of these people. But to these people, it feels like a, a lighthouse in, in the fog. Yeah. Yeah, golly, it's sad, isn't it? Um, interesting, but okay, let's not get too, too Let's sad. not get too depressed by Brian Tamaki. He'll be irrelevant in four weeks. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. All right. I'm holding you to that actually. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, all righty then let's, um, we can probably wrap this up. Is there anything that you've got coming up that you, um, because, well, yeah, I think we've got three weeks, haven't we, till our election? We've got three weeks until the election. Yep. election. Um, yeah. What are you election, up to in, in the intervening? Seeing what hits the news is essentially yeah. it. Um, I, I want to try really hard to make sure people are informed before they get out there and vote. Um, yeah. Advanced voting opens in, I think, two weeks' time. It, it's sort of the first week of October. So making sure people are enrolled, making sure people know how they're going to vote and why they're going to vote that way is really important. Mm -hmm. um, and then trying to get to election day, I'm um, I'm actually fronting a news show, a, a radio station broadcast for election night. And then after the election, I'm going into hiding and running off to Asia for like a month in November, just to yeah. escape for a little bit. <laughs> escape for a little bit. Well done. Yeah. Um, I tend to jump onto that vote compass thing. Um, that's a really good tool. Yeah, I it's find that's quite, quite good to get rid of all the noise. Yeah, our policy and oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Policy NZ is, I think, the spin-off, and it gives you a really nice broad breakdown of each of the party's policies and each of the candidates in your electorate. So okay. that's a really good way to have a little bit more information about the people that, that you could work with directly in your community. Vote Compass is really good for a generalized, this is where you sit on the spectrum kind of thing. It yep. does tend to lean a little bit righter than most people feel they are. 
but it's also That's, a great tool yeah. to be able to sit down and go, okay, this is, you know, this is where I kind of fit in the spectrum and I don't agree with this, but I do agree with that. Yeah. No, that's good. All right. So people should be getting out and, and, and doing those sorts of things. Is that sort of the philosophy that you would take into your decision making? I mean, I guess knowing everything you do about media and politics and the game and the silliness of it all is to literally go policy over personality. And Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, like I, I will vote for a party or a person I think would actually represent me best in parliament. Um, but I'd thoroughly recommend as well for anybody who doesn't know what's being on offer, go to a Meet the Candidates event. Um, they're a really interesting way to sit down and see how your candidates communicate, how they interact with other people, how the audience reacts to them as well. Because if you've mm -hmm. got a candidate who doesn't work well with an audience and with the community, how well are they going to be able to represent them in Parliament? So I, I would always recommend going along to one of those meetings. And making sure that you are sort of armed with information that you want to know, because you usually have a chance to ask a question or write a question um, and make sure that you sort of get the answer that you want. Politicians are really great at avoiding answers like across the political spectrum. Yeah. So asking a simple question with a simple answer that gives you a direction for yourself, I think is a really important tool to be able to use as well. Awesome. All right. Well, that's great. Well, that's totally worth doing because I think a lot of people have just checked out and they're like two dudes yes. called Chris. Uh, yeah. That, and that's yeah. it. Exactly. It's two middle-aged white dudes named Chris who both like going to the beach, who both don't want to change the laws around marijuana. And yeah, it's yeah. just, that's so same, same. They even bought a house at the same age. It's ridiculous. Oh, don't tell me it was like 22 or something. Was it? 24. 24. Okay. 24 when they, bought their first house uh, i think it's a great opportunity for people to look at smaller parties and what they have to offer this selection absolutely yeah no that's that's good good call um apart from some of the really small fringe ones but yeah actually being aware of what party, they offer not a minnow party. <laughs> not a minnow party yeah but also being informed and being aware of what even those minnow parties offer um yeah so you can kick that shit Curve is, um, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it might sound good on paper, but when you actually deal with them, you talk to them, you see what their social media presence is, you'll get an idea as to what it is that they actually stand for. Yeah, good. So, what was your own sex education like? Do you? I was very lucky that my parents were incredibly liberal. Yeah. Um, but I think that the first kind of sexual awakening moment that comes to mind would have been. I think preteen and my parents sitting down going watching going you have to watch the rocky horror picture show oh, I, it, really it, it's my mother's yeah. favorite film yeah. um it, but it, it's definitely one of those things that is as you know a 19 year old it's it's one of those well this is this is interesting Ooh, yeah i've got some questions <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly um my parents have always been very open and allowed us to talk about those kind of things um and i think it, it because I've got two siblings, they all had very different sort of attitudes towards sex and, and mm. relationships growing up. And I, yeah, I, I don't know that we all had the same sex education awakening moment though. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. a tough one to call. As the oldest, I probably got the the raw end of the stick of, oh, we could try this when he's nine. And then finding <laughs> out, no, it's probably not a good idea. We'll wait till the, the next one's a little bit older. <laughs> yeah. Try again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think what's been interesting actually is, um, like I said before, I'm in my 40s as well, but um, doing a podcast like this, um, I guess I, know, I feel now like the education hasn't really stopped. It's just, you know, it's just happening it just now in going. my 40s. Yeah, it kind of keeps going. Um, yeah. But, but Rocky Horror Picture Show, I think that's 
that and Top Gun are probably my two most watched movies ever. So, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know what that says yeah. about me, but it's a good I, I was really lucky that years ago when they did the unveiling of the Riffraff statue in Hamilton, because it, he's got a big statue down there. Um, I was part of the organising committee for a, a couple of screenings of double feature picture shows. Oh, so I, I got to meet Richard O'Brien. I got to take my mum to meet Richard O'Brien. And then we got, I don't know if you can actually see them. I've got these two here, which are like the original posters from it behind Grogan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, now, there's only four of those sets in existence. And my parents have one of those sets because of that. And it's like, yeah. this is how I can thank you for ruining me as a child. You can have his autograph. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been awesome thank you heaps and oh, my pleasure um, thank you yeah thanks for thanks for talking about the the sex education side of things um keep up the good work thank you well. very much tim you have a good I'm one gonna, you too man catch you later see ya see ya Really hope you enjoyed that one. You can check out more of Paul over on TikTok at Paul underscore Barlow NZ or at PaulTheOtherOne.com. Before we sign off, I wanted to remind you to check out our book available at sexandspace.com forward slash book to download and buy. Don't forget to leave us a like, follow and comment or review wherever you're tuning in from. Your support means the world to us. Until the next time, safe travels. See you on the next episode.